Good morning. I'm prepared. First service, uh, John Alstrom always sits right here, front and center, and always has his cane, and always threatens me with his cane, (laughs) and has even warned me that his cane will extend beyond uh, where I think it can reach, and so I've got a bat this morning (laughs) that I could equally threaten John back with, so um, you'll see why I've got it here in a little while, so I shouldn't have to use it, but we'll see what happens. Uh, welcome to, uh, to Redwood. Uh, if it's your first time with us, and I know we've got a few first-time guests, thank you for taking some time of your weekend uh, to be here. I know we've had a few guests who have come back the last couple weeks, um, and I, I want to show my appreciation to you guys for continuing to come check out Redwood and check out Jesus here with us. Uh, here at Redwood, we're just a group of people trying our best to be like Jesus. We're uh, do that. We come together and, and worship and, and learn about Jesus a little bit, and, um, and that's what it's all about, is for us trying to become more like Jesus so we can uh, show people what Jesus is really like. Um, we're in the middle of this series called Greater Than, and this is a series as we're working our way through the book of Hebrews, and we are about two-thirds of the way through it. We're starting to, to get closer to the end. When I was in Bible college, I had two classes on preaching. Uh, The first class you take is just a general overview. The second one is a much more specific class, but a general overview of of preaching. So you learn uh, how to construct a sermon and and how to construct different types of sermons and what type is appropriate for what audience and what situation and and the differences in an expository sermon, kind of like we've been doing here through Hebrews, going through a verse at a time or a book at a time or more of a a topical sermon that applies to uh, the needs of your church, that tries to stay relevant with culture. But in all the sermons, you learn how to construct what's called a dominant thought, or a DT. Your dominant thought is basically your sermon in a sentence. You may have heard preachers say this. Now, if you don't remember anything else I hear, take this with you. And it's it's one line, maybe two lines, but it's usually quotable. It's something that you can remember that'll stick. And there are some preachers, I've been this way in the past, where I may repeat my, my dominant thought a half dozen times throughout the course of my sermon because I really want it to stick. I want you to remember it. But there are basically three types of sermon structures when it comes to your dominant thought. The first is a deductive sermon. This is probably one of the more common types you've heard. That's where your dominant thought comes at the beginning. So you might give a little introduction. Bam, here's my dominant thought. Now I'm going to spend the rest of my sermon supporting that dominant thought. And, and you know the traditional three points, and here's, here's my three points to support this dominant thought, and then I'm going to tie it all back in at the end. Or there's an inductive sermon. That's the opposite. That's where your dominant thought comes at the very end of your sermon. And so you spend your whole sermon building up to it, and it slides in at the end. This is kind of a common theme in some southern churches. You, you may have seen it. You know it's coming. You know he's going to say it, and he just builds and builds and builds, and then finally, bam, he hits it at the end. And in the middle, there's one called semi-inductive, and that's where it's, it's the two sermons combined, and your dominant thought's somewhere in the middle. So you preach an inductive sermon, you, you build up to your main point, then you slide it in there, but you're not done. You go ahead and reinforce it. It's almost like climbing up a mountain and coming back down. You want to go ahead and reinforce it on the way back down. That's a, a style of sermon that is a, a difficult one to preach. Some of the, the really good preachers out there, the good storyteller type preachers can pull this one off. 
But that's what the writer of Hebrews is doing. It's kind of a semi-inductive approach. We are uh, in chapter 10, is where we're going to be at today. This anonymous author that has written this letter to a group of Jewish Christians uh, has basically broken his letter kind of into thirds. And the first third of it, he talked about Jesus and who Jesus is and how Jesus is greater than uh, your perception of him or, or kind of the, the culture you've constructed around you. And then he transitions and he starts talking about why you should follow Jesus. Jesus is greater than any temptation that you might face or the promises of the world that they can give you. Or he's greater than how you worship. Last, year, Daniel, or last week, Daniel talked about he's greater than your past, greater than what you've done who you've been, what you bring to the table. And right now, as we get into chapter 10, if if this is a sermon, this is his dominant thought. He's getting to the point, but he's not done. He still has a little bit more to go, and we're going to cover over the next couple of weeks. But as he builds, and and we've kind of said this over and over, he builds, he makes a point, and then he takes the next next step and goes a, a, a point further. Almost he makes a point so he can make a point. And, and as he builds, he, he just continues to grow this. So think back the last few weeks, we talked about he's greater than your temptation in life and your promise in life from the world, than, than uh, your past. And he kind of, through this, talks about worship. And today he's gonna talk about sacrifice. Now, let me, let me kind of make a disclaimer here, kind of before we get into the text here. Because sacrifice, whether you're like me and you've spent your whole life in church, or maybe this is your first Sunday in a church, I think we all kind of don't really understand what this sacrifice is all about. See, we think of sacrifice as something we give up for something else. That's kind of the definition of sacrifice, right? So when it comes to church or when it comes to God, maybe I'm sacrificing a couple hours of my Sunday to be here. Maybe Sunday's my day off and I'm here Anyway, I'm sacrificing that. Or maybe you serve in the church and, and you're sacrificing another couple hours throughout the course of your week and that's what you sacrifice. Or, or maybe you sacrifice some of your finances to help out the church or help out a missionary, or you sacrifice some of your talents or your abilities. That's not what they're talking about here. See, in, in the old covenant, before Jesus came along, they had to sacrifice to become righteous. They had to sacrifice to reach that holiness with God. So it's a sacrifice of atonement, Uh, If you look through Romans 3, you really see how Paul nails out how Jesus became that sacrifice of atonement. But to understand this, you've got to look back in your Old Testament. So if you get a chance, at some point today or or the next couple days, read Leviticus 16. I'm going to give you a quick overview of it, but read Leviticus 16 because in detail it talks about what had to take place on the Day of Atonement. See, the Day of Atonement was the day that, that... God established with, with Moses and Aaron, who was the first high priest, to take away the sins of the Israelites. So on the Day of Atonement, the way it works is this. Aaron is the high priest, and this worked for all the high priests that came after him. He is to go and, and ceremoniously wash himself and then put on very specific garments, uh, specifically designated for that day. And then he takes a bull, has a bull and a, a ram. He takes the bull puts it on the altar, cuts its throat, drains its blood, takes the ram, puts it up on another altar with fire underneath it to make a burnt offering to the Lord. He then enters into the most holy place. That's, that's the, the part of the temple that only the high priest could go because that's where the presence of God came to rest. Anybody else that stepped in there, they would die. 
They weren't worthy to be in there. Only the high priest could, only if he followed this procedure. So he would walk in there with some of the coals from the fire under the ram to kind of create like a smoke screen. And there's a big thick curtain, a veil, that separates the most holy place or the holy of holies from everything else. So he would take that that smoke and that fire to kind of create a smoke screen so he couldn't see the presence of God as it had come to rest in there. And he would take the blood from that bull and he would sprinkle it all around to purify for the sins of the people. He was, he was sacrificing the goat to purify his own, or the, sorry, the bull to, to purify his own sins so he could walk in there holy. He would then leave the most holy place and there were two goats that had been brought up by the Israelites and he would, he would place his hands on them and, and put the sins of Israel on them and they would cast lots and, and on the, the, the lot, or the goat which the lot fell, they would take it out into the wilderness to the most remote place possible away from everything and everyone and release it. And so that goat with the sins of Israel was left to roam the wilderness, to roam uh, in, in complete random isolation forever. That goat was called the scapegoat. That's where we get that phrase today. A scapegoat was taken away to to be cut off from humanity for forever. The other goat they would take and they would sacrifice and, and sacrifice it for the sins of the people. And they would take the body of that goat and the body of the bull and, and everything that was left of the animals and they would burn them as a burnt offering to the Lord. And they had to do this every year. Sound fun? <laughs> we want to construct something like that outside and see what happens? No, we're not going to do that. But that's what had to take place for the Israelites to become righteous in the eyes of God. So, flash forward a few thousand years when when Hebrews is written, about 1,500 years later. When he gets to chapter 10, the Israelites, the the first people who read this, the the, the Jewish Christians living in in, in Rome, as they're reading through chapter 8, and he's talking about your past, and reading through chapter 9, talking about worshiping, going into the most holy place, and in, in behind the curtain, as the writer says, they know what's coming. They sense that dominant thought coming just a, a, a page or two later. And so when he starts off chapter 10 this way, they know exactly what he's meaning. Chapter 10, verse 1, he says, For since the law was but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. A shadow by its very nature cannot become the source. Now, I realize the sun never shines here in Oregon, so you may not know what a shadow is. <laughs> but yesterday it shined for a little bit. You got a kind of a glimpse of one. I'm standing here. You can probably see mine behind me. It starts at my feet and extends back. Whichever way the light's coming, it goes the other way. You, you know this. And so a shadow is simply a reflection of me. Where I go, it goes. Where I move, it moves. What I touch, my shadow touches. You, you understand this. It's a very, very simple thought process. But the shadow can never actually be me. It can never actually be the source. It's simply a reflection or, or a, it, it gets what the light hits me, the shadow happens. Here's the other side to a shadow. If I'm standing on a flat surface and there's nothing behind me, then my shadow will look a lot like me right? I mean, it's going to mimic me pretty well, maybe at at an odd angle, but the shadow is going to look a lot like me. But if there's something behind me, then that shadow is going to distort. Now, maybe it's a flat wall. You can kind of see it back here. It goes across the floor, hits the wall, and goes at a different angle. 
Or maybe it's just random stuff like this. My shadow's going to hit that and distort and twist and turn all different ways. What happens is when the shadow gets some interference or gets an obstacle, then all of a sudden the shadow reflects that. And that's what's happening with the Jews. When they go to do this sacrifice every year, when they go to make this sacrifice every year, they're being reminded of their past. See, they go and they they put their sins on these animals. And these animals are sacrificed. And part of the part of the, the process here was they would be reminded of their sin so they could get a better understanding of God and of his redemptive power and of his grace. When I was in college, I, uh, I fell into the trap that most college students fall into. Uh, if you're in high school, listen to me for just a minute here. I got a credit card. <laughs> uh, and it was a credit, it was for emergencies only, emergency use only, 0% interest for 12 months. Exactly what every college student needs. Now, fortunately, this was 15 years ago. It's a little bit more difficult to get one now. <laughs> 15 years ago, before the, all the recession and everything, it was really easy to get a credit card. Well, you know two indisputable facts about college students. Number one, they run out of money really quickly. Number two, everything becomes an emergency. <laughs> a trip to Taco Bell down the road became an emergency. And let me tell you, the day that the Taco Bell on East Lindsay Street in Norman, Oklahoma, started taking debit and credit cards was one of the greatest and worst days of my life. <clears throat> so you know where this story's going. It wasn't very long when that credit card was maxed out. And I don't remember what the credit limit was, but it was a whole lot higher than it should have been. <laughs> it wasn't very long that card was maxed out. It also wasn't very long that that 12 months of 0% interest was gone. It flew by. Now, as a college student, I was extremely involved. I was involved in a lot of things on campus. I had a lot of stuff going on, a lot of stuff on my plate, and I could only work about 15 hours a week at my job. And it was a minimum wage job, so I was not able to make my payments. I could barely make the monthly payment, and that was it. And I'm paying this, and I'm paying this, and, and months a couple of years have gone by and I've realized my balance is staying the same. And you guys, if you've ever been in credit card trouble, you know what I'm talking about here. All I'm doing is just throwing money at the interest. I never bothered to sit down and figure out how much money I just threw away. I, di- I didn't want to know. But every month I would get that statement and it would just almost make me cry. Oh, I mean, it just depress me because I am seeing that I have a debt that I can't do anything about. I have a debt I cannot pay. It's overwhelming me. It's crushing me. And every month I'm reminded of this debt. And that's what the Jews faced here. That's what the Israelites faced every year was they're reminded of their sin. They're reminded that they have a debt that they can't do anything about except bring an animal and follow a set of of rules that God has put in there. Now, thankfully for me, eventually, I got a job that allowed me to have the money to take care of, of, of my situation. But it took somebody providing a way, and then it took me adhering to a pretty strict discipline to take care of that, that credit card debt. You see, that's what God is all about here in this passage. Uh, you, 
the, the passage from Leviticus, it's not about the sacrifice itself. It's about the, willing, being the, the, the willingness to obey, the willingness to follow what God calls them to do. And even if you, you flip to the rest of the Old Testament, you see this. Prophet Samuel tells King Saul this uh, in, in, in 1 Samuel. He says, uh, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. A couple hundred years later, the Lord says this to the prophet Hosea, for I desire steadfast love. That's, a, that's a, a, an unconditional, continued love. I can de- desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God and not burnt offerings. And the Israelites understood this, and the writer hammers it down in verse four of, of Hebrews 10. He just says it flat out. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. See, the problem with sacrifice, it's inadequate. Nothing that they can do is adequate for God. Uh, David kind of hits on this in Psalm 19 when he declares the words in, in, in worship, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. See, he knows that as a servant, nothing he can give his master is worthy to be given to that master because it's the master's anyway. So everything he has, all of his talents, all of his gifts, everything is God's. And he's giving it back. It's like when my kid gives me something. One of my kids gives me something that I gave him to begin with. But they give it to me in a spirit of love. In a spirit of, Dad, I did this for you. And that's what David is saying here, and that's what God is saying here. Because we are simply that reflection. We're made in God's image. We're a kind of a reflection of him. I, uh, you probably know this about me already, but I'm a bit of a baseball fan. Specifically, I'm a St. Louis Cardinals fan. So any chance that uh, I would get, I would go watch the Cardinals. And, and I get into it. My wife will tell you this. Uh, St. Louis is about five hours away from my hometown, so we'd make the drive up there once or twice a year. We'd go watch them in Kansas City. That was only three hours away. Uh, last year, we were in Arizona. We actually went and watched them every time they came to play the Diamondbacks. And I can get into it. I can, I can put the jersey on. I, I can go a step further. I can, I can put on the hat. And I can, I can look the part, right? Uh, I can really get into it if I want to and uh, wear the socks. I'm not going to change pants, don't worry. <laughs> I can go as far as I want to go here. Want to play catch? Hang on, it gets better. I can go a step further. <laughs> I can put on the batting gloves. I can even grab a bat. And as I was told between services, provide the sacrifice. <laughs> now, see, here's the problem with this. Here's the problem with this, this concept. I can look the part, but I'm not one of the cardinals. I mean, you, if I was a little bigger, maybe I could be a shadow of him, but you kind of get the point here. I can dress the part... But it wouldn't take very long to realize, if you're a fan, I'm not part of the team. I heard a uh, 
a question on a sports talk radio station a couple of years ago that I loved it. it. said, what professional sport could you play that you could last the longest in before anybody realized you were a fraud? And I said, well, baseball, because I could at least wait two or three innings before I have to get up to bat. <laughs> they could hide me in the field somewhere for an inning or two, as long as I don't have to make a throw. But I'm a shadow. Everything that I can do, I can dress the part, I can look the part, but I'm not part of the team. I'm a shadow of who they are. You see, I can do everything that God asks me to do. I, I, I can follow every, every rule, I can follow every step, but I'm still just a shadow. The Jews did that. But Jesus, on the other hand, Jesus is more than just a shadow. The opening words of Hebrews in chapter one says that he's the exact representation of God's being. I love how the ESV says it. He's the exact imprint of God's nature. I love that too. And the Apostle Paul says in Romans 5 that Jesus came at just the right time for humanity. The writer of Hebrews says it in verse 5 that Jesus came into the world and he said this, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. A couple things are pretty fascinating to me about this verse. Uh, the writer here is quoting Psalm 40. And what I love about it, he's quoting Jesus in the Old Testament. You ever, you ever sit and think about that? When we hear God talk in the Old Testament, he's saying Jesus spoke in the Old Testament. But the other thing that's neat, if you've got your Bible and you actually flip to Psalm chapter 40, Look at the difference in the wording. You see, the Old Testament was written in a variety of languages, mostly Hebrew and Aramaic. The New Testament is written in Greek. So when the New Testament writers quote the Old Testament, they're quoting what's called the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So where Jesus in in, uh, Hebrews 10 says, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me, In Psalm 40, he says this, in sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Now you may look at that and say, well, it's different. Yes, it is, but not as different as you might think. See, an open ear implies hearing, and hearing implies obedience. How did Jesus obey? He asked for a body so he could go do the will of the Father. Just continue reading in Hebrews 10. He takes that a step further. He repeats himself in verse seven and in verse nine when he says, behold, I have come to do your will, he says to God. And then the writer adds this in verse 10, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. What does sacrifice look like for us? Now, fortunately, we don't have to do the sacrifice of atonement anymore. We don't have to mess with that. But what does sacrifice look like for us? How do we sacrifice our will like Jesus did to follow the will of the Father? Well, by being open to God. Again, a lot of us are are willing to do certain things, but are you willing to do whatever God wants you to do, wherever God calls you to go? See, sacrifice as Jesus did it here, it's a, a willing obedience to God. And often, I think our, our obedience to God may be conditional. Like, God, I'll go anywhere you want, especially if you want me to be a missionary to the Bahamas. I will <laughs> gladly make that sacrifice for you. What if he calls you to a third world country on the other side of the globe? You're willing to follow him there. 
or God, I, I will go pastor a church anywhere you want except the state of Texas. I said that several times. God didn't take me to Texas, thankfully. <laughs> but we're conditional. God says, no, I want you to be open. I want you to be ready. I want you to go where I want you to go. I want you to be willing to go where I want you to go and I call you to go. Or you may say, well, God, I, I just love my Sundays and I'd love to sleep in. And God says, no, I want you to come worship with my people. I want you to come be a part of the body of, of Christ. Or maybe for you, it's church. And, and you're willing to sacrifice specifically, conditionally for church. And God says, no, I want you to be willing to make this a place that anybody wants to come. A place that's open for the community. A place that's meeting their needs. Submitting your will to God, is, it's, it's more than just saying, God, I'll, I'll do this, but it's just saying, God, I'm yours. That's how we submit. That's how, that's how we obey the sacrifice of God. Verse 14, the writer nails it down. He says, by a single offering, Jesus has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. See, I am so grateful and thankful for the sacrifice that Jesus made for me that I, I told God a long time ago, I said, I'm yours. And he led me on this weird path. I kind of, I kind of went over it a couple weeks ago, but here I am. And I, I told you guys six months ago, I, didn't even, I never heard of Grants Pass, Oregon. Never heard of Redwood Christian Church. God opened the door at the right time for me. I love this phrase that he uses in verse 14, that we are being perfected. Being perfected means completed or being made whole. And uh, he, he talks about those who uh, are being sanctified. That's those who are actively pursuing God. Those who are, are trying to get into a holiness with God and are chasing God. What I love about this the most is, in the grammar behind it, is a perfect tense verb, meaning it's a past action with present results. Christ made his sacrifice, we are still feeling the benefit of it. Uh, The the same sacrifice that Christ made 2,000 years ago that's redeemed my life has redeemed your life if you've accepted Jesus. Will one day redeem the lives of children who have not been born yet. Same life that has redeemed life for the last 2,000 years people who have been dead and gone for for generations, that same action has had eternal implications. See, the story of of God is is so amazing. The story of God's people is amazing. See, if you, you just read through the Bible, God created us in his image and we sinned. We messed that up. We rejected God and we ran away. And what did God do? He chased us. He came after us. He didn't just sit back on on his front porch waiting for us to come home. No, he went after us. He pursued us and he continues to pursue us. And he sent Jesus at just the right time and Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus didn't just make the ultimate sacrifice, he became the ultimate sacrifice. And when Jesus went back to heaven, he sent his Holy Spirit And it's the Holy Spirit that comes and dwells in us now and guides us and leads us the ways that we need to go and that intercedes with with the Father on our behalf. And the Spirit reminds us that we don't need to be reminded of the past. 
Verse 17, the Holy Spirit says this, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. There's no longer any offering because the offering has been made. Jesus made it once and for all, as the author says time and time again. I love this passage because he just repeats it. Then kind of that dominant thought being repeated, he wants you to remember. And he closes this section out circling back to the beginning. Look at verse two. I don't have it on the screen, but look at verse two. He says, they would not have ceased to be offered, talking about sacrifices, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer need any consciousness of their sin. Isn't that amazing? You don't need to know about your sin. You don't need any consciousness of your sin because God has, has released it and forgiven you of it. Last week, Daniel talked about your past, letting it go. And, and he quoted Psalm 103 when he says, your sin has been removed as far as the east is from the west. I don't know how far the east is from the west. I know if, if, if it weren't for the ocean and you just started driving west, I mean, you can just continue to drive west eternally. You know, eventually there's always going to be a west or there's always going to be an east. Here you don't get the concept quite as much because of the mountains, but if I were to take you back to the Midwest where it's flat, you can stand and, and if there's nothing in your way, you can see for 10 miles. If you're in Kansas, it's actually believed you can see further than 10 miles because there's literally nothing there. <laughs> but you can see 10 miles before the curvature of the earth takes away your vision. So imagine that, you're standing in one spot and you do a a circle, 360 degrees, a 10 mile radius all the way around you. Your sin is at least removed that far and and God can see a whole lot further than that. He has put your sin so far out, he no longer holds it against you. You no longer have to be reminded of it. That's the sacrifice that Jesus became. Let's pray. Father, we are, are so thankful for that sacrifice. God, I, I'm thankful that it, it, it reminds us that we don't have to be reminded anymore of who we once were or what we once did. God, my prayer today is if anybody is here and is struggling with that, struggling of letting go of the past, letting go and submitting and following you wherever you may call and lead, God, that you would put us in their path that we could just help answer the question that they might have. God, if anybody is, is struggling with that next step of, of getting closer to Jesus, God, that you would, would help us help them understand what that step is. God, I'm so thankful for this body of believers and, and for those guests that we have that have, have joined in. God, I just ask that you would continue to remind us you're greater than everything that this world has to offer. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.